Well, thank you so much for being here, and uh, we're just so thankful for the chance to sing. I, I think, John, if you would have said we're going to sing that again, I think we all would have, and uh, that was just uh, so wonderful. Thank you. Well, do take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 2. Len, thank you for reading that for us. You know, there's something about uh, Christmas that just um, nostalgically stirs up our hearts for really just memories of childhood and family, and some of those memories are good and some of those memories aren't so good. I do want to acknowledge that, and yet at the same time, I don't want to diminish really the, the good memories that some of us do have. And I, I think of my own family, and I think of uh, just the season of the year. Uh, one of the pastors in our family of churches, his, his son told him this last week, he said, Dad, I think, I think um, uh, summer is my favorite year, but, but winter is my favorite vacation. And it's because there's something, there's something about that, that Christmas time. And I think of my own family being back in town as they've been all over, actually the globe, and then to have them all back in this, this uh, for a couple weeks has been great, and it's just reminded me. I do see some children trickling. Is there, do children need to go? Go. <laughs> Don't trickle flow. Just go. All right. But as my own, my own uh, memories, my own parents, I, I think I've, I've, uh, I've grown in my appreciation of my parents as, as, as I've considered my own family. And I, I remember my dad, we, we grew up in a, a, a poor middle class, lower middle class family, and he, he just was so burdened. He wished he could provide more for us, and they just couldn't. And I remember him saying, as I was just entering into my teenage years, he said, hey, I'm just going to do whatever I can to make sure you get through college debt free. And I, I just kind of thought, I, I, I don't think they could do that much. And yet, looking back, I, I did graduate debt free, and... I, I had my own little lawn business. In fact, I, I had this lawn business before I could even drive. And as I think back, I, I remember my dad would load me up in the, in the car. He'd drop me off. I'd mow a lawn. He'd go do something else, come back, pick me up, take me to the next spot. I'd mow that lawn, and then we would work our way through the neighborhood. I remember I needed a new lawnmower, and I went in, and I think I was, I was maybe 16 or 15 or 16, and I, I, I took out a loan because in this small town... That banker knew my dad was good for it if I couldn't. I remember going off to college and still it was having to pay the bills, pay the bills. And my dad, he'd, he'd, uh, he'd actually get the lawns going in the spring. I mean, he'd work his job and then he'd come and mow those 30, 40 lawns a week. And then I'd take it over in the summer and then he'd close them down in the fall. And well, what I began to realize is that my dad working behind the scenes, he helped fulfill those promises that he made. And what we see in our text of Scripture is how that God, behind the scenes, providentially, sometimes in our face and sometimes where we can't even see it, he's just working. He's working so that, so that we can hear the good news of joy. 
And in this passage of scripture, we see how the angels, they came and they, they told and they said, don't, don't be afraid. I'm, I'm bringing you these good news, this good, glad tidings of great joy or good news of great joy. And this good news reminds us that God is in control. It's really the first point. God's good news reminds us that he's in control because we all get bad news. We all have seasons where we wonder if God's there. We all have seasons where we just question, is this just an emotional feeling? I come into this room and we sing those songs. No, we need to be reminded that, that God is in control. It could be you've had a massive health trial or endured false accusations or feel like God has not answered your prayers in the manner which you desire. Or maybe you just turn on the news and you look at the multiple wars you look at the bombs going off and the gunshots being fired and you wonder, is there a God in the midst of all the evil that's around us? I want to remind you, and our text validates it. In Luke 2, 1 through 7, we see that God is sovereign and he's still on his throne. He's not intimidated, he's not threatened, and he's not thwarted by our present age. He actually can use and often does directly use rulers and the events of the world to providentially accomplish his plans. You see, the birth of Jesus Christ was the most significant moment in history. And in this little town of Bethlehem, a teenage mother witnessed one of the most unbelievable miracles. God becomes flesh. Initially, the moment was so small, so insignificant. It seemed like just another event in world history would swamp baby Jesus. You see, all of Israel, they understood the Messiah. They, they understood he's supposed to come from the lineage of David, reign as a king in Jerusalem. That's what Micah 5 verse 2 tells us. Yet when, did the, what, but when would the king and the Messiah come? You see, because of Israel, the Israelites' idolatry, God sent evil nations to come and take the nation of Israel into captivity. And then right about 400 BC at the conclusion of Malachi, which we just went through as a church, the revelation from God ceased and it felt like there was no longer a word from God. Everybody's hope was just tottering and just teetering into going into a, a, real, a, a real canyon of doubt and yet, in the Gospel of Luke, God shatters the silent years by sending his angelic messengers to herald the coming king. First, uh, an angel of the Lord visits Zechariah, the high priest. Next, the angel Gabriel visits Mary and expands on the promises of God from the Old Testament and shares the intimate details of how the promises of God would be fulfilled. And, and look at verse 7 in our text, and she did all these things. She gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger. It happened. A teenage girl gave birth to God in human form. She wrapped the son of God in strips of cloth and laid him in an animal trough. But I've got a question. How did this come about? How did this couple travel 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem on the exact day that she should give birth so that the prophecies of God would be fulfilled? I mean, how do we go from Micah to the manger? 
Well, our text starts with a phrase, in those days. And this phrase links us back to Luke 1, verse 5, in the days of Herod, king of Judah. Now, King Herod, the, or, or Herod the Great, he was not a Jew, and he was hated by the Israelites. He was just a, a vassal king under uh, Caesar Augustus. And in verse 1 of our text, we, we see Caesar Augustus. These are titles for this Roman emperor because Caesar means king, and Augustus was a title conferred on him by the Roman Senate, meaning majestic or highly honored, and it was reserved for the gods. For 45 years, Caesar Augustus ruled the empire with such remarkable military, political, and social skills that he initiated an era called the Pax Romana. It was this 200 years of peace where, where, where the Roman emperor didn't have to worry about fighting enemies from within or without, and he just built a structure. He, he, just, he just built an infrastructure of roads and, and a means for the rapid transmission of the gospel. In fact, Galatians 4 verse 4 calls it, he, he, he writes, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. You see, God providentially used the pagan ruler of Rome to evangelize the world. You see, you know what the good news reminds us? It reminds us that God is in control so that when our text tells us in those days, verse 1, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered each to his own town. You see, Luke gives us these specific geopolitical details to communicate. This is not metaphorical. This is factual. The, the, the emperor calls for a worldwide census, which required every citizen to return to his hometown to assess the empire's potential tax revenue and military base. You see, God used this pagan emperor and this non-Jewish king to providentially fulfill his promise. I mean, just consider if the census was off a year or two or, or a king maybe complied sooner or delayed there could be many reasons why Joseph and Mary could not make it to Bethlehem for the birth of Jesus, and yet God orchestrated every single event because God's promises are true. In addition to fulfilling the Davidic covenant, Luke records other details that just further remind us of the providence. He noticed that Joseph was of the lineage of David. We see that Mary was still a virgin because this couple had not yet consummated their marriage. They were betrothed. Additionally, the simplicity of Mary wrapping the baby and swaddling clothes just like any other Jewish child. And finally, he provides the subtle clues suggesting this young couple in Bethlehem got to Bethlehem just in time to secure the last stall because there was no room for them in the inn. The simplicity and normalcy of Jesus' birth is contrasted to Caesar Augustus's extravagance. I mean, archaeologists have dug up uh, finds where they found inscriptions celebrating Augustus's birthday that read, Caesar Augustus, Savior of the world. Hmm. The Savior of the world. He called a census at just the right time. Hmm, how convenient. 
for Joseph and Mary to leave Nazareth, for them to travel to Bethlehem so the baby could be born who would have the title of Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior of the world. One commentator took and just took those two facts and he said, the baby Mary carried was not a Caesar, a, a man who would become a God, little g, but far greater, the true God who would become a man. You see, the good news reminds us that God is in control, but the good news points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, upon leaving the simplicity of the birth of Jesus, Luke moves on to mention the event that took place a few, pl a few miles away from this lowly campground. He says in verse 8, you can look there, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch of their flock by night. You see, this good news reminds us that God's in control, but this good news points us to Jesus by, by just meeting us where we are at. You, you do not need to clean up or become righteous before you believe in the promises of God. I, I just wonder how many of us, we, we come to a service like this. It could be that you faithfully come to services like this, but it could be that you just chose to come to a service like this because you want to make sure that you go to church once in the course of the year, and I just want you to know you're so welcome. But I don't want you to ever think that somehow you've got to clean up before you can receive the good news of Jesus Christ. In fact, to just illustrate this fact that God meets us where we're at, God chose to reveal the location of his son to the shepherds who were considered some of the lowest participants in social strata. The Jewish Talmud ranked the shepherd near the lowest class of all people, just above leopards. They, they weren't allowed to testify in court because they were un, unreliable and they were prejudged as thieves. And yet God decides to have the shepherds be the first recipients of the Christmas news. And they were just doing what shepherds do. They were out in the field keeping walks, uh, watch over their flock by night. Can, can you imagine being in one of, those, one of those sleepy shepherds? I mean, here you are. You're out doing what shepherds do. And all of a sudden, your boring and mundane evening is interrupted by an angel. How many of you have ever, ever daydreamed of perhaps being in an environment where there was some evil, I, I don't know, like a gunman, and perhaps you thought that you would be a hero? Come on, I want to see how many of you have ever daydreamed about that. I have a friend who was at a gas station filling up his car when this vehicle drove in with, with like, it was just like, I don't, he, he says he doesn't even know who they are. They just drove in and they pulled out fully automatic weapons and they just started shooting up the place. And my friend talked about how he just daydreamed of being the hero in circumstances like that. Do you know what my friend did? He didn't even move. The whole time they're shooting fully automatic weapons off, he's pumping gas. hero. <laughs> the angels show up and the glory of the Lord shines around them. And the shepherds were filled with fear. However, this angel had something special for those shepherds. He said, fear not for behold, I bring you the good news of great joy that will be for all 
people. I mean, he just goes on to proceed to explain the fulfillment of the promises of God and gives more promises. He says, Jesus is right over there in Bethlehem. The redemption that was promised in the Old Testament is here. If you want to go and find that Jesus, he's going to look like every other baby, but you'll find him in a manger. You see, the good news meets you where you're at, and the good news meets your greatest need. You see, at this moment, through the angels, God was communicating that these angels, these shepherds, no longer had to be afraid of a personal relationship with God. This is why when the angel follows up with the fear not, he says, I bring you good news of great joy, for it will be for all people. The good news is available for all. Uh, this goes back to you don't need to clean up first. You don't need to be a part of a certain race. You don't need to be a part of a, a, a certain social strata or financial standing. You don't have to be a pillar of the community. The good news is available for all of us in this room this morning. But the good news is found in Jesus. And you see in Luke 1, verse 31, Gabriel communicated God wanted Mary to name her child Jesus. And in Luke 2, verse 21, we see that she obeyed. And just like Caesar Augustus was actually a name that was actually titles, Jesus has titles that also become his name. For unto you, verse 11, is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You see, Jesus is the Savior. He's the Christ. He's the Lord. You see, Jesus, as the Savior, did not come to offer you your best life now. He didn't come to be your financial advisor and bring you riches. He did not come to mediate every one of your broken relationships on this earth, but he came to be your Savior. You know, I think most of us, we, we feel like uh, we just need a tweak or two. We, we, we kind of live in a culture that's like, you're not so bad. I mean, just keep on trying. I mean, you're, you're, you're a pretty good person. You probably just mess up every once in a while. Do you, do you know that the biblical reality is, is actually quite different? You see, even though you may not be aware of it, without Jesus as your Savior, you're helplessly lost. Your sins are enslaving. Your sins are damning. I don't know if you ever read about, this happened about three, four years ago, Kenneth Howard. He was only 22 months at that time, so just under two years old. He wanders away from his parents' Kentucky home. And they live right on the edge of some woods and, and ravines and mountains. And for two days, this less than two-year-old is lost. And scores of sleepless people, they just frantically searched. And the th forest was so thick, it was hard to get into every nook and cranny. And they, they, they start praying, and they'd get quiet, and they'd, they'd call his name. And, and, and there, was a, there was just a slight voice. And they began to triangulate, and finally they found a little Kenny. He's just sitting on top of a little flat rock for two days. You know, little Kenny, he was lost. There was no way for him to get home. He needed somebody to be a savior. And every one of us were lost. We're lost in our sin and our trespass. We need a savior. That's why in 1 John 4, it's not what I do to love God. Well, he says it this way, here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the payment, to be the satisfier, to be the propitiation for our 
sins. You see, the good news that the Savior is born is great news. Jesus, the Savior, Jesus is the Christ. Simply put, it just means anointed one, the promised one. He, he's just the, uh, in the Old Testament, prophets, priests, and kings would be anointed with oil. It was, a, it was a way to signify their position, and Jesus Christ comes as the anointed one. He's the anointed prophet. You see, all through the Old Testament, there was words coming from God, prophecies and prophecies. But can I tell you something? Jesus was more than just another word. He was the word. I mean, he, he wasn't just a word of prophecy. He was was the fulfillment of prophecy. He comes as the anointed prophet, but he comes as the anointed priest. He is our great high priest. Hebrews says, since we have a great high priest, Jesus, the son of God, but he comes as the anointed king. He conquers all that opposes his rule. I mean, he conquers sin, Satan, death, and hell. In, in one sense, it's already that King Jesus reigns. And even though we see brokenness all around us, how many of you are looking forward to that day when King Jesus literally reigns over all this mess. You see, he's the Christ. He's the anointed one. But then we see that Jesus is the Lord. This means that he possesses all authority and sovereignty as, as the lawful ruler of everything that he's made. Colossians says, for by him all things were created in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. I, I think that the lordship of Jesus Christ is a difficult concept for most of us to accept. Most of us want the benefits of Jesus without submission to Jesus. We want King Jesus to fix every other problem around us so I can live in my own selfishness. But as one old-time preacher said, he said, if Jesus is not Lord over all, he's not Lord at all. Do you know that's what the message of the gospel, this good news, is going out? You have a need that only Jesus Christ can meet. And that need is the forgiveness of your sin and the submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. You see, the good news, the good news points us to the Lord Jesus Christ because ultimately he wants to reconcile all things to himself. Look at verse 14. Glory to God in the highest. Peace among those among whom he is pleased. That's why he could look at them and say, fear not. I bring you this good news that through Jesus, your sins can be forgiven and you can be made at peace with God. Well, this good news, it, it reminds us that God's in control. This good news points us to Jesus Christ, but this good news invites us to respond. And in closing, just 50, verses 15 through 21, we witness three different responses. We see, first of all, the curiosity of the bystanders. Verse 18 reads, and all who heard wondered at what the shepherds told. So, so the shepherds get the news from the angels. I don't know who they left the sheep with, but they are going to Bethlehem. They come into town, and, and it's almost like, who let the dogs out? And everyone starts batting down the hatches. I mean, when the shepherds came to town, you better secure all your stuff because it might be going out to a shepherd's field. 
and they are just kind of amazed. The shepherds come into town, and, and the shepherds don't even care about the evil looks given to them. I mean, they're just pushing past the crowd. They go find Jesus, and, and people are like, man, did you see all those shepherds? And then here come the shepherds going back out of town. Here go the shepherds out again. And the people around, they're just, they're like, I wonder what they're talking about. I wonder what this whole thing about Jesus really is. The bystanders, maybe marveling, did not even suspect that the king of the universe was in their town. Instead of marveling, marveling reflects the surprise of those who encounter maybe an act of God's revelation. But one commentator said, Luke is saying that the report was circulating and it's causing a little bit of a stir. I mean, did you see those shepherds? They, they were talking about Jesus, but, but the report, it tickles the crowd's ears, but maybe it missed their hearts. You know, I, I, I do think of, um, well, first of all, I just love being a pastor here and I just love being one of the shepherds here. And I just love being a, a fact that I get to be a part of what God's doing. But sometimes I get burdened because I, I know there are folks that, that maybe drift into gospel grace for a Sunday and you sit and maybe you even sat through the whole Malachi series from Pastor Lucas and you heard things, but, but are you just a bystander? Like, are you just maybe hearing it? Have you ever let the gospel good news actually push past the mental and start hitting the heart. I mean, have, you, have you ever just considered that, that you're a sinner that needs grace? Have you ever considered that Jesus Christ wants to give that grace freely? Have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? You see, the first response we see is there's a curiosity. There's, and, and we rejoice in that. But we hope that there's more. We see the comfort of Mary... Look at verse 18, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. You see, Mary, she contrasted the bystanders. Whereas they heard and wondered, she actually heard, treasured, and pondered. Can't she, can't she just think of the validation in her heart? The rest that she had to feel. I mean, here she is. She's pregnant as this young teenager, and, and almost everyone, in fact, most of her closest allies were like, really, Mary? Really? Only Joseph, only Elizabeth truly believed her from what we see in the text. And, and then these total stranger shepherds bust, bust into post-delivery delivery calmness of the moment. And they begin to testify of unbelievable encounters and events. I, I, I got to believe that Mary, she's just sitting here listening and going, I knew it was true, but now you know it's true too. I, I want to encourage Christians here. I I, I, you've got to understand something. As a follower of Jesus, we must understand there will be dark days in our pilgrimage. I mean, I, I'm not asking for a, a raise of hands, but who's struggled with the current world affairs? I mean, who's struggled with, I don't know, the problem of evil? Who's struggled with some hurt? Who's, who's struggled? Who, are there any Christians here that are struggling trusting in the promises of God? I want to just remind you, and I want to encourage you that God will continue to bring enough grace into your life to preserve you and help you run this race of faith. His word is true, and he will hug you across the finish line. Keep on 
going. There is a day coming when, like Mary, you will see the glory of the Lord and you will enter into the eternal rest of God. And then we see the third response, the conversion of the shepherds. Look in verse 15, verse 18. We've already mentioned the shepherds throughout the message. I just want to close by using the shepherds as an analogy of what it's like to become a follower of Jesus Christ. First of all, they received the word of God. They were just doing what shepherds do. The angels interrupted their mundane lives, told them about Jesus, and that's what's going on this morning. You're just doing what people do on Christmas Eve. You're just doing that, and you come into here, and we just sang songs, and we just heard the Word of God read, and we're hearing a message unfolded for us. We're hearing the Word of God, and it could be in hearing the Word of God, the Spirit of God is poking, and the Spirit of God is urging, and the Spirit of God is wooing, and the Spirit of God is saying, yes, you are a sinner. Yes, you do deserve judgment, but it's okay because Jesus Christ is the Savior. You see, the shepherds, they heard, but then they believed. The shepherd's first response was simply to take the word of God, and they said, let us go to Bethlehem and see the thing that happened, which the Lord has made known to us. You see that submission, that bending of the will, that, that giving their lives to the word of God. They, well, the writer of Hebrews said it in opposite. He says, today, if you'll hear his voice, harden not your hearts. And then they came to Christ. The text says they went with haste. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. You see, becoming a Christian involves the whole person. It, it starts with knowing the truth about God, Jesus, sin, and yourself. It's, it's believing that God is eternal and is never created. It's understanding that Jesus is equal to Father. That sin is when we go our own way and break God's law. That we were created to have a relationship with God, but we're lost and need Jesus Christ. Romans 10 verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, becoming a Christian results in a changed life. This isn't something you add to your life. You're submitting to Jesus Christ, the Lord. And look at the response. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they heard and seen as it was told to them. You know, as we close out our service, I just want to focus on that last moment. Perhaps you've known things about God, Jesus, sin, and yourself. But have you ever become a true follower of Christ? Do you believe what Christ said about himself? He said, I and my Father are one. Do you believe that you sin and cannot save yourself? For by the works of law, no person will be made righteous in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Have you ever submitted yourselves to the Lordship of Christ for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will? be saved. Let's bow our heads together. I just want to give us a minute or two right here to call on the name of the Lord. It could be that God is just working in your heart. 
He's just been taking the culmination of sitting maybe in, in a service like this over the year, and he showed you your sin, and he's lifted Jesus Christ. Would, would you just, in your own seat right there, in your own heart, would you just pray and ask the Lord to be your Savior? Would you just submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Would you just tell God that you're a sinner? Would you just tell him that you need Jesus Christ to be your Savior? Would you just tell the Lord, I don't want to do my own work. I want the finished work of Jesus Christ to be the means of which I have a right relationship with God. Would you just pray and ask the Lord to be your Savior? your prayer would be something like this dear Lord I know I'm a sinner I see that Jesus Christ is God I see that I deserve to die for my sin but I see that Jesus died for me I'm not trusting in my own work I want to trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ alone please save me Father, we do pray that, Lord, that you would help us to push past the presence, push past the commercialization, push past the anxiety that comes with looking at all the world events around us. And Lord, would you just give us a couple days where we remind ourselves that the good news of great joy reminds us that you're still in control and you are the Lord and help us to have the right response. I, I pray for those that perhaps even this morning put their faith and trust on you. Lord, I pray that they would have courage to come find one of the pastors or their friend or someone and just let them know that they trusted in you today. In Jesus' name we pray.